Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the holy and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace and peace to you from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that spring from you, the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the truth of, in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. All over the world, this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and understood God's grace in all its truth. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who has told us of your love in the Spirit. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to, to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, bearing strength, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you may have great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Well, uh, it's uh, great to be uh, with you this morning in, in Peter's place. If, uh, if you don't know me, my name's uh, Andrew. I'm one of the ministers at Forward. And so uh, if we've not met, it's, it's great to meet you. And uh, we are kicking off, um, as Sam said, this uh, series in Colossians uh, together. So uh, please, if, if it's in front of you, uh, grab the, uh, I don't know what colour you call that, whether it's mauve, uh, whatever colour that is, this, uh, this outline as, uh, as we look at that together. Uh, please do keep praying for Pete uh, in the next few days for his uh, family as he, he's up there uh, with them and uh, as he grieves the loss of his grandmother who was uh, very close to him and very precious to him. Uh, so it would be great to be praying for him. So when we pray later, maybe that uh, would be a good thing to include uh, in your prayers. Um, today we're uh, beginning a journey through this uh, letter of Colossians and we're doing that because the, the letter of Colossians itself is a journey I think into and there's been a little hint of this in the passage that was just read out to us uh, a journey into gladness and joy that's Paul who wrote this letter that's his goal that we would increase in our joy increase in our gladness the more we hear about what this gospel the gospel of Jesus Christ is doing uh, all over the world so that's uh, how we're going to start we're going to be looking at this letter and I want to explore just for a few moments this ambition that we have together to be a people over this term who, who do grow in joy and gladness. Uh, when, it, uh, when it comes to joy for you, uh, what is it that um, makes you joyful? What is it that makes your heart glad, that uh, causes you to bubble over with uh, happiness? Uh, I want you just for a moment, we're only going to do this for about a minute on, on our tables, I want you to answer this question for one another. What things make you glad? Uh, what things bring you joy? And it doesn't have to be pious answers. It doesn't have to be, well, my quiet time in the morning brings me joy. That might be true and that's wonderful. But let's start at the non-pious end of the pool. Uh, what brings you joy? Uh, what makes you glad? So just a minute, a minute doing that together.
Okay, let's uh, let's come back together. Is anyone uh, willing to shout out either their own answer or someone uh, from their tables? What what is it that brings us joy? Food. Is that what I heard over here? Food. Yeah, food. Anything else? What brings you joy? Sunshine. So not very joyful at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Sport. Sport. Sometimes. <laughs> what what was that? Student finance? Ah. Oh. Good. Any others? What makes you glad? Friends driving. Friends driving. People like crying. Crying. Like crying? Well sometimes it's yeah. Good to cry. A good cry, yeah, yeah. Okay, watch out on this table. Yeah. Well, here's, uh, on, on that subject, uh, here's, here's the second question for you, and this is, uh, this is a bit harder to answer maybe. Why aren't you more joyful? Uh, why aren't you more glad? What holds you back? What are the hurdles? What are the obstacles for you? What, what stops you being joyful? So just a minute on the table. Why aren't you more joyful? Okay, is anybody uh, willing to confess? Anybody willing to say what, what stops them uh, being more joyful? Any ideas? What's holding you back from more joy? Worry. Worry, yep. Uh, things that are on our minds. Anything else? <laughs> Too lazy to be joyful, that's interesting. Any others? Well, keep that in mind. Keep asking that question as we go through what's holding you back from joy because that is our goal for this term, to be those who are growing in joy, uh, those who are growing in gladness. Joy is uh, one of the best words uh, in the English language. Exuberance, uh, having a heart that bubbles over. It sounds like a childish trait, doesn't it? The sort of that giggling joy that children have. I, I know it from my own children. I have four children and one of their favourite uh, times of the day is uh, if, if when I come home from work they want me to lie down on the floor in the lounge room and uh, wherever they are in the house you hear this sort of patter of feet and this little giggle as they all charge in and pile on us this massive rumble uh, in the lounge room floor which has been great for a while but now Finn is getting a bit older my oldest is uh, he's eight he's taken to sort of running on the edge of the couch and doing a sort of a high dive <laughs> onto me which diminishes my joy uh, somewhat but it's, it's a childish trait, isn't it? Joy, that sort of giggling joy. We're too serious. We've uh, grown out of that. Uh, somewhere perhaps in our teenage years, uh, we're, we're all too serious to be too joyful. We try to find it in uh, hundreds of artificial ways to get it back, but it's gone. We're adults now. Uh, we know too much, whether it's the worry that uh, Peter spoke of. There's too many other things that crowd into our lives for us to be joyful uh, like children are. But here's the Bible's challenge to us. Uh, rather than knowing too much, could it be that we actually know too little uh, to be joyful, that we don't know enough? Uh, that's going to be the Bible's challenge for us. Uh, the Bible is going to say again and again throughout Colossians, you need to know about your God. You need to know about his gospel and if you do, your heart will grow more and more to overflow with joy. Uh, real joy, not childish joy, joy that can stand up under the strains of life in this world and the worries of this world and all of those things. And the reason that that's going to be so important for us is that your God actually made you 
to be joyful. You are designed, you are wired up to rejoice, to be glad in heart, not just from time to time, but always, rejoicing always uh, in your God. That's his ambition, to have you be a creature like that. Uh, Joy and gladness are not meant to be passing experiences, they're not guilty pleasures, Uh, it's meant to be our our constant experience. This is how uh, C.S. Lewis, who writes about joy a lot, explains it. He says this, The Scottish Catechism says that man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But these are the same thing. Fully to enjoy God is to glorify him. In commanding us to glorify him, God is inviting us to enjoy him. Uh, You want to glorify your God? Uh, The way you do that is you enjoy him. You rejoice in him. Uh, When hearts are glad in him and joyful in him, he is most glorified. Uh, This is uh, John Piper's take on that same thing. He says, God is most glorified in us uh, when we are most satisfied in him. And so that's our challenge uh, together this term, to grow in the joy and the gladness that only God can bring. Uh, This is uh, how theologian Thomas Mueller puts it. He said this, this is your ambition. He said, I saw more clearly than ever that the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day was to have my soul happy in the Lord. Uh, The first thing to be concerned about was how I might get my soul into a happy state. I saw that the most important thing I had to do was to give myself to the reading of his word and to meditating on his goodness towards me. And for me there's the key. That's why we're looking at Colossians rather than just having some sort of pep-up session where we just encourage each other, be more joyful. Uh, That's not going to work. Uh, what is going to work is hearing our God by his spirit speaking to us, speaking, filling our hearts with knowledge of him uh, that will cause us to overflow with joy. Uh, why are we not more joyful? Uh, the answer the Bible will give again and again is you know too little. Uh, you need to know more of your God, more of his gospel. And wonderfully that's what Colossians is going to do for us. What Colossians does, I think, is it shows us the path the gospel takes through each of our lives and throughout this world. And the more we see that path and appreciate what it's doing in our own lives, uh, the more we will rejoice and be glad. Uh, Let me pray for us and then we'll dive straight into Colossians together. Heavenly Father, I do thank you so much that you, in your kindness and goodness, have created us to be joyful creatures. Uh, And we pray more and more as we look at Colossians together that you would uh, shape us to be just that, uh, to be new creatures, uh, the creatures you intend us to be, uh, creatures that uh, C.S. Lewis describes as those who are drenched in joy. And so, Father, we do pray that you will do that as your word is uh, poured out over us in these coming weeks, that we would indeed uh, be more and more drenched in the joy that comes from knowing you and your gospel. Amen. Well, if you haven't got it open, please have Colossians uh, 1, uh, uh, chapter 1 open. As I said, this, uh, this letter of Colossians is all about the story of the progress of the Gospel and the story of the progress of the Gospel is a wonderful story. Uh, and it's not only a, a sort of a global story, it's a personal story. Each person here, uh, those around you on your tables, uh, can tell the story of the progress of the Gospel. I, I was born in Canberra. Australia, the world's most boring capital city. Uh, but I learnt the gospel from, uh, on the north shore of Sydney uh, from a man from Phoenix, Arizona, who learnt it from a man from North Carolina. Uh, the path the gospel took to reach me is, is spectacular. 
and you will have your own story. The progress of the message of God's grace, I think, is a wonderful thing. Uh, Each person here has had that gospel reach them through God's uh, brilliant plans. Now here as we begin uh, this journey through the letter to Colossians, we will see again something of that wonderful story. Uh, This is uh, the the background story, if you like, to this letter of Colossians. It starts with a a well-to-do businessman who lived in Colossae. Uh, His name was Philemon. Uh, He was uh, often travelling around the area for business and uh, that often took him to the thriving coastal town of Ephesus. Uh, He was, if you like, a frequent flyer to Ephesus. Uh, But this time was different, whether he had a bit of time, uh, spare time off from uh, his business business work. So he he met there a Jewish man named Paul who was in this town gathering crowds into a hall and speaking of one called Jesus, who he claimed was not only the promised king of the Jews but was king of all the earth. Philemon was intrigued, he listened and to his great surprise he became a believer in the word about Jesus. He became a believer in God's grace to him in all its truth. Now at the same time another man from Colossae had made the same sort of trip to Ephesus and had the same experience. His name was Epaphras. Epaphras returned home with the gospel and he told many the word of truth about their king Jesus, the truth that Paul had taught him. And a number of Colossians came to faith in Christ Jesus and uh, this community of believers began to meet in Philemon, this rich businessman's house. And while all of this was going on, Philemon, uh, who was a rich man, had lots of servants. One of them was a dodgy servant called Onesimus. And in the middle of uh, his his job as a a servant, he did the runner. He left Philemon and headed to the big smoke, to Rome. Now, remarkably, uh, by now, in God's gracious providence, uh, Paul also was in Rome, uh, a prisoner under house arrest but able to have visitors and one of his visitors uh, one day was this wayward servant Onesimus uh, who himself received Christ because of this gospel and he in time became a huge help to Paul he became Paul's servant, Paul's uh, friend uh, like a son really the Bible tells us now time passed and then one day while Paul is in Rome under house arrest uh, a familiar face from the Ephesus days appears it's Epaphras uh, with news News from Colossae, news of many who have received Jesus Christ. You see the path the gospel has taken from one man, Epaphras, and now spreading throughout Colossae. News of solid faith, of uh, confident hope of transformed lives. And news, verse 2 tells us, of a holy, faithful people in Christ in Colossae. You can imagine Paul's joy. Here he is in prison, uh, hearing of the story of the gospel, hearing of these new chapters in that story. And essentially what you have here in this letter is Paul saying there is so much to thank God for, uh, so much still to ask him and I want to write to the Colossian Christians, I want to assure them that they have received Christ. I want to encourage them to continue to walk with him. And so he writes his letter before us today and when he's finished he hands it to uh, Tychicus and none other than Onesimus uh, who has the job of travelling now back to Colossae to Philemon's house. Uh, the boss who he did the runner on. You can imagine that reunion. And if you want to hear about that reunion, read the letter to Philemon uh, in the scriptures. But as we begin, it's important to see the story that's come as we look at these opening verses, to see the reason Paul is so joyful in these verses, to see the path the gospel has taken. Uh, He is writing to a group of people he's never met uh, and he's doing the same to us. Uh, He's never met us, but the path the gospel has taken from that moment to reach us here in Sheffield today. 
uh, he would write the same things to us. And what he starts with is a prayer and that's what we're going to look at for a few minutes now. Starting with him giving thanks. You see that in verses 3 to 8. Let me read verse 3. He says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. And what follows is no mere formal thanksgiving. That was pretty customary with letters of the time. No, this is a thanksgiving of the richest kind. Three things Paul is thankful for, for the Colossians. For what has happened, how it has happened, and what it all means. Let's have a look at those three together. Here's the first of them. For what has happened. He bends the knee before the God of this gospel and he gives thanks for what has happened to the Colossians. And what's happened to them? Life has happened to them. Gospel created life. Have a look at verses 4 and 5. He gives three undeniable signs of gospel life. Uh, These are the ones that confirm for the Colossians that they really have come to life in Christ. Three signs that I think are always the authentic markers of Christian life when it's been produced by the Gospel. Three signs to look for in yourself. If you've ever been somebody who's struggled for assurance as a Christian, wondering, am I really a Christian? Here are the signs to look for, not only in yourself, but for us as a church as well. I reckon there's uh, lots of false signs that we could maybe look for to see if we're really alive as Christians or are we alive as a church. It might be uh, that we're successful as a church. It might be uh, the numbers are growing. It might be uh, signs and wonders and miracles. If there's more of those, then we're more alive. It might be our impact in the surrounding area or it might be traditions. But Paul says, no, there are three signs three authentic signs of gospel life. They are faith, hope and love. The first of them you see there in the start of verse 4, faith, we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. I reckon it's easy to be confused about uh, what the experience of faith. We often think of faith as an intellectual matter, uh, facts you believe, and it's definitely that. But faith is an experience. Uh, The mind is involved, but it's an experience we we should be able to recognise in our lives. Ultimately, faith is an experience of confidence. Uh, Faith is not just an assent to propositions about Jesus Christ. Faith is the experience of trust, of security, of confidence in him. Faith lives. Uh, It has legs in our real experience. As we live and speak in the world, we declare by our life, I trust him. I trust him. You see that in your decisions. You see it in your priorities. That's what faith looks like. And I reckon for a person living in a world like ours, there is no experience to match faith in Christ Jesus. So let me ask you this morning as we begin to see these authentic markers, do you know that experience? A trust uh, in all of life, a confidence, a security in who Jesus is to you. Don't underestimate the significance of this sign of faith in your life. Confidence, not arrogance, uh, but confidence in a world like ours, a world uh, where there is a growing anger amongst uh, atheists who would seek to belittle such puerile, pathetic faith. A secular media and institutions waging war against somebody who would say they confidently trust Jesus Christ. But that's just the experience we need when living in a broken world like this. To live in a world like ours and experience faith in Jesus Christ, 
Uh, well, only the gospel proclaimed to you can give you that. Only knowing God's grace in all its truth, as we see here uh, in Colossians 1, can bring that. So there's faith. Uh, secondly, there's love. Uh, love, we're told, verse 4, for all the saints, uh, a word that really just means Christians. Again, I think we lose sight of the miracle of this. I, I don't know whether you, uh, whether you dwell much on the miracle of love amongst Christians. And that's what Paul was marvelling at as he heard about what was happening in Colossae. These people actually love each other. And not sort of love in the sort of polite friendliness. Uh, the Brits are good at that. This is deeper than that. Uh, this is gospel love. This is a love that happens to you when you know God's love for you. God's grace towards you in all its truth. And you see another person across the table from you right now and you realise that God loves them no less. And they may be different to me, age, culture, race, education, wealth. They may even be quite annoying. But such things are irrelevant to the fact that just as God has loved me, they have loved them. He has loved them. And so when we see that, I can't be indifferent to you anymore. I can't just be polite to you or friendly to you. You're my brother or my sister. We're family. Uh, Do you know that experience? Uh, Do you see it in your life? Are these the mark of uh, your lighthouse table, of lighthouse, of the students at Forward? If a report from uh, lighthouse was to reach Paul or reach the other side of the world, would this be what is reported? Faith in Christ Jesus, confidence in him and growing love for one another. And then there's this third one, verse 5, hope, hope that is stored up for you in heaven. I said joy is a, is a great word. I reckon hope is my favourite word uh, in, in all the world. Hope, uh, as Shawshank Redemption puts it, is a good thing, maybe the best of things. And Paul would say the same, a hope, real hope, gospel hope, is so radically different to the sort of hopes we have in our world, hope that is often a short-lived phenomenon or uh, just a rare event. That's the sort of hope that marks our world and our nation and our homes, ourselves. But we need a hope that won't disappoint or fade or be snatched away by something, a hope that's actually safe. And you see what it says here about your hope? It is stored for you in heaven, protected there. Here's the wonder of the Gospel. Hope, our only hope, comes by way of a death and was born in a grave. Born the day that Jesus rose again and death worked backwards for the first and only time. And so verse 5 says our hope is safe because he is safe in heaven. He is our hope. And here's the amazing thing. And When we we break for discussion in a few minutes, I, I want you to dwell on this together as a table because I don't think I think this way about the Christian life. You see what Paul says in verse 5 is quite a surprise. He says that it is hope that drives your faith and love. He says that it is hope that is the spring for faith and love. Not the other way around. Hope is not the thing that you tack on at the end of the Christian experience. He says you want to grow in confidence in Jesus, you want to grow in love for the people around you, then dwell on your hope. Now that's what's happened to the Colossians. Faith has happened, love has happened, hope has happened. How? Well, that's the second thing Paul gives thanks for. He says, how it has happened. Simple, says Paul. They heard the gospel. Uh, For this hope they have is uh, what the gospel holds out. You see that in verse 23 of chapter 1. The hope that because Jesus' body was given over to death for you, you who come to him will be presented before God's throne without blemish, 
holy in his sight and free from accusation. Now there's a hope. There is coming a day when you will be presented before the God of the universe who made you, who is the judge of all the earth, and you will be without blemish, holy and free from accusation. Now verse 5 says, This hope came to them as a message. The one Paul had been proclaiming throughout the Mediterranean. It is, as Isaiah puts it, it is the beautiful feet that bring this message. Message of God's grace in all its truth. News that the, that the Lord has finally brought this hope to our world. And you see three pictures of it in verses 12, 13 and 14. Verse 14, he has redeemed us, brought us back from enslavement, from our own sin. Verse 13, he has rescued us from under death into the kingdom of his risen son who will raise us. And verse 12, he has qualified us. You have a death-proof hope. And so Paul gives thanks because the Colossians have heard this message and laid claim to it. They learnt it. You see that? Isn't that amazing? Simple as that. This, this life-changing experience of faith and hope and love, it's learnt, it's heard, it's taught. And so let me encourage you to be confident of what you're doing around these tables Sunday by Sunday. You are doing the very thing by which God is transforming this whole world. You are learning the gospel. Uh, be confident in the message you've learned. It holds out hope to you and to your world. Uh, pray that we would be faithful with that message together. We would hold it out faithfully to one another. Pray for Graham Daniels tonight. Uh, pray that there'll be new stories uh, tonight of the Gospel's progress because of his faithful teaching of it. Now pray for university campus. Again, that there'll be new stories by those who learn of this Gospel. And pray that we, each one of us, are not the ones who break this wonderful chain of grace as this message is passed on. Pray that we would guard it and be careful with it. Now Paul is in house arrest in Rome. He's sitting back and he's taking in this news of life, of faith, of hope and love and he's hearing how this gospel is surging forward throughout Colossae and he's so very thankful for what it means and for how it happens and then finally for what it all means what, what, this, what this means God is doing I want you to picture the scene uh, picture Paul uh, near the end of his gospel ministry uh, in prison in Rome thinking there's a very real chance that he's about to be beheaded uh, hearing news of this surging gospel going throughout the world and you picture it as he hugs his friend Epaphras and says you know what this means don't you and of course he did, but it's fun to say it out loud, and so he does. Verse 6. All over the world this gospel is bearing fruit and multiplying. As the gospel goes throughout the world, a world that God has made, a world that rejected him as maker, a broken world, a judged world, as the gospel goes around the world, it's bearing fruit and multiplying wherever it goes. Now they're big words, bearing fruit and multiplying. Do they sound familiar? They are the, some of the very first words our God spoke in creation. Do you remember them back in Genesis 1? This is what he said. This is his purpose for mankind. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. This is God's original purpose for humanity, the purpose by which he blesses us. Be fruitful and multiply. Here in his cell in Rome, hearing the news of the gospel's progress in Colossae and throughout the world, Paul knows what God is doing. And God's original purpose for us, his blessing, is being wonderfully fulfilled 
this creation mandate which we can't fulfil because we're fallen down and broken creatures. God is doing it uh, through this simple news of his son. How good he is, how faithful to his purposes. And God's means of fulfilling his creation mandate is ultimately by speaking this message to the world. And wherever it is spoken faithfully, it brings fruitful life and multiplying life. Thank God, says Paul, for what has happened, for how it has happened and what it all means. Uh, Now I'm going to pray again and then uh, you'll see on your sheets uh, some questions to reflect on uh, there in this prayer of thanksgiving uh, that Paul has given us in these first verses. So let me pray. Uh, Father God, we do thank you so much uh, for the power of this gospel that has travelled through uh, the lives of Epaphras and Philemon and Onesimus, uh, travelled all the way to us here today. Uh, We pray now as we uh, discuss these things together that you would give us a fresh uh, wonder at the progress of this gospel in our lives. Amen. So please take a decent chunk of time looking at those questions uh, on the sheet and chatting about them together. If you want to uh, wrap up your discussion there, we'll have some time to um, either continue that discussion or pray in uh, just a few minutes. Um, Just for a a few moments, I want to look at uh, um, verses 9 to 12 uh, together, the sort of second part of this prayer. Um, Really up to this point, all Paul has done is he's given thanks for the progress of this gospel in the lives of the Colossians and there's much to give thanks for and uh, it's interesting, we're we're talking just then on our table, this this whole idea of how we cultivate this enjoyment, this thankfulness, this gladness in the gospel. I wonder if part of it might be doing the very thing that Paul's doing for us here, actually hearing the story of the gospel, bringing that change in people's lives, to actually spend more time doing that for one another, hearing how the gospel is changing us uh, would actually cause us to rejoice Uh, in its progress. So he gives thanks but then this is what he does in verses 9 to 12. He makes petition, he asks. I love this. Paul is just so glad to see the the gospel's progress. You'd almost see him just sort of resting back and thinking, good, job done. Uh, But the exact opposite, he says, more please. Uh, He's like the little kid from the musical Oliver who says, please sir, I want some more. There's been this spectacular growth uh, in Colossae caused by the gospel and he says bring more um, it's a bit like I don't know whether you've uh, seen the, in the Shawshank Redemption there's this moment in it where Andy Dufresne uh, is given the job of working in the library and there's not many resources in the library so he starts writing and petitioning the government for more resources and they send him a whole lot of books and some money for the library and you think well that'll, that'll keep him quiet he won't ask for more but he just sends even more letters and more letters that's what Paul is doing here he just says I want more And I reckon this is going to help us when we think about our own prayer uh, when it comes to the response of the Gospel. I reckon we split thanks and petition into different moments in our lives, our experiences as Christians. When all is well, uh, I'm thankful and I ask for little. It would be greedy to ask for more, wouldn't it? More blessing uh, in our life as, as a church. It would be greedy. But remember the message. It is God's grace in all its truth. And so Paul boldly asks for even more. But when troubles come or lack comes, uh, I, I am askful, yes, but I thank little. But not Paul, he's in prison. 
with a real chance of the death sentence and yet here he is thankful. Uh, Paul knows God's purpose is to bless us. He sees it happening and so he says, Sir, I want some more. And just so briefly, because you're going to look at this in more detail next week, look at what he asks for. He asks for lives filled with knowledge. Verse 9, asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. He asks for what he's already been thankful for. I want you to have even more knowledge of God's will. I want you to know more of his great graciousness towards you, uh, more of his goodness in Jesus Christ, more and more. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I balk a bit at this point. Uh, after all we've seen so far, wouldn't, wouldn't you ask for something a bit more exciting than knowledge, Paul? Uh, but he's no fool. What he's asking for is not complex, complex, abstract head knowledge. It's knowledge of God's grace, God's truth, a truth that actually touches down right at the level of a home in Colossae, uh, filled with people like you and I. Because he knows this. Have a look at verses 10 and 11. He knows that to be filled with the knowledge of God's will is the best possible equipping for joyful life. Uh, Such knowledge brings, we're told, all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And you see that in verses 10 and 11. Such knowledge will help us live lives that are worthy of the God that we are learning about. You can reach a point where you will be able to fully please him, uh, fully please your Father. The more you know of him, the more your life will fully please him. Now that's an amazing thought. Now I can tell you as a, a father, uh, that, that's just such a wonderful experience when your children want to please you. Mine are young enough to still want to do that. Uh, they, Finn and Jamie, my oldest two, are learning to swim at the moment and it's pretty slow progress, I've got to tell you. But uh, most, they go every Thursday night. Most times Liz goes with them, but every now and then I get to go along. And uh, they love to show me the progress they've made. It's usually little things like Jamie can now dive in the pool and uh, Finn can uh, sort of do freestyle. And afterwards, they're desperate to know whether I noticed, whether I saw what they were doing. Desperate to please me. Well, you need to grasp how much it changes uh, your life as a Christian to know that your Heavenly Father is desperate to see you pleasing Him and to know that you are free to do that because of His grace. It's all open for you now. Uh, You can please your Father in everything. Do you see it there? Not just in some things, not just when you're doing churchy things like Lighthouse, but in every way. Knowledge of God's will, being filled with that, transforms your life, all of it. And secondly, it will cause you to bear fruit. Bearing fruit, we're told, in every good work. Now let me challenge you. I'm going to leave this with you for the week. You've got some homework between now and next week. I don't know whether you normally have homework, but here it is. Uh, Let me challenge you. See what it says there. It says you can bear fruit in every good work. Again, not just churchy things, everything. Your life, because the more you know of the gospel, the more it will be fruitful. And let me ask you, are there parts of your life that are barren and fruitless? Uh, Whether it be relationships or hoped for relationships, whether it be uh, anger, whether it be attitude to uh, fellow students, whether it be family Uh, whatever it might be, are there parts of your lives that as a Christian are utterly barren, are without fruit? Uh, This is saying the more you know of God's will, uh, the more fruitful you will be. So are there parts of your lives that you need to apply knowledge of the gospel to, uh, to see fruit uh, born in those areas? That's a challenge. Uh, You'll look at that more next week. But let me leave you with this one. This is my absolute favourite thing that this knowledge will give you. The more you know of God's will, verse 10... Uh, the more you will know God. 
And I think this is one of the disconnects often we make as Christians. We get so occupied in knowing about God or knowing about the Gospel, uh, we forget that the whole purpose in that, as far as God is concerned, is he wants you to know him. It's personal. Uh, It's wonderfully intimate, the offer here. The more you know of his will, the more you know his heart, and his heart is utterly for you. And that changes everything when you know that. I remember uh, when Liz, my wife, uh, we've been married, uh, how many years now? 13 uh, years. Uh, When we started going out in Sydney, it was uh, December. We'd been at a Christmas party uh, separately. We we travelled separately there. We we hadn't started going out until this particular night. I'm driving home and there's this car behind me with its lights flashing. I'm thinking there must be something wrong with my car, maybe tyre flat or something. So I pull over and there's one of Liz's friends and Liz Liz is in the passenger seat and she gets out of the car and I'd been keen on Liz for, well, maybe about 18 months and I was going to get round to eventually maybe asking her out at some point if I could dig up the courage to do that. Anyway, so she jumped into the passenger side of my car and said, you know, I, I have no idea what you think of me but I'm tired of waiting to find out so let me tell you that I'm keen on you and I'd love to go out on a date maybe sometime if you could be bothered. <laughs> and uh, my jaw drops to the floor and I sort of drive home speechless and uh, let me tell you that changed everything on our relationship for a, for a scaredy cat boy who couldn't get around to actually digging up the courage to ask her out to actually know someone is for you uh, that takes out of the equation the, the possibility they might not be but they're actually for you uh, changes completely the way you relate to them and the way you live life And that's just a tiny little dot compared to what God is saying to you in the Gospel. The more you know of the Gospel, the more you know this of your God. He is utterly for you. Completely for you. He has given you his best, his son. And the more you know that, the more you will live life worthily of him because you will be freed from the insecurity of uh, wondering whether he is or not. Uh, He has demonstrated it in his son. The more you know that, the more you will verse 11 and 12, be empowered to live this life of joy and thanksgiving and you'll look at that more next week. But what I want us to do now, just with the time we have remaining, is to bend our knee as Paul has done in these verses and to give thanks to God, thanks for his gospel, thanks for its progress in your life and then like Paul, like the little boy in Oliver, to beg for more, uh, beg for more of the blessing that comes from this gospel. So spend a decent chunk of time, whatever time we have left, uh, just praying in your tables. There's a prayer written there for you in those verses, so if you're wondering what to pray, there's lots there. So uh, go for it.